welcome to another episode of Expressions of Podcast. We're on episode 16, I believe, with uh, John Simo. My house, it's just a state of men, and I just can't feel this soul, so we'll just keep shoveling. Oh! Uh, John is a uh, content creator, an educator, a film director, filmmaker, uh, as well as the creator of Neon Demon Studios, which I actually did a, a creative shoot at recently, and it was super awesome. So I'm super excited to get into the conversation today. But before we dive into that, I do want to say a quick hello to my co-host, Brian. So Brian, how are you doing this week? Awesome. Thank you, Aurora. How are you doing? I'm doing That's what fun. I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's it's been a busy <laughs> week. Uh, you yeah. know, some stressful situations, but aside from that, like I'm, I'm super pumped to get into this discussion. So. Life is happening again. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> happening again. Things are going on, and uh, it's it's just craziness. I was talking to you, Aurora, before we started, before John came in, about how the world is changing and how the stresses are just changing all the time, and uh, I'm sure that's something we'll get into in the conversation. Uh, John, I don't know if you know, a lot about this show is about mental health and about how we stay positive during crazy times and um, taking things that successful people like yourself do so that other people that want to do the same kind of thing can like, oh, wow, I never even thought of that, right? Like uh, the show like this is so inspirational for me personally. And I always feel great the day after we do these shows because I pick up these little things that help me deal with the stresses because there are a lot of them. And uh I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I was checking out, I was checking out your Instagram page and there's a couple of the posts that you had on there that just uh, instantly caught my eye. And it makes sense that your studio is named Neon Demon because um, the lighting that you have and the way you use light is so creative. Uh, I really can't wait to talk to you about maybe some pixel stick stuff and other things that you do. So yeah, very anxious to talk to you. It's going to be great. Glad you're here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really ex uh, excited to talk to you guys. I got, I got a lot to talk about and I love doing these. So thank you so much for having me. Cool. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, so uh, John, uh, before we get into our discussion, do you want to describe a little bit about what you do, what you love to do um, for those of our listeners and viewers that may not have seen your page before or seen your studio? Yeah, I my name is John Simo, and I'm a content creator down to my core. And beyond that, I think I'm just a, a maker. I love to create things. It's really my passion to take things from my imagination and make them into reality. And like that's one of the best things about being a content creator is that you can literally make anything you want as long as you have the skill set, time, occasionally the budget. And so I love to create things, and I've been a content visual creator for most of my life. Uh, I got more into the physical side of content creation by creating Neon Demon Studio. And I've really sort of made my niche to create these highly cinematic, highly colorful, vibrant, and somewhat impossible visuals. I like all my content to be a little bit otherworldly in a sense that uh, it makes you question like, is this real? And it's really been an honor to just to play and that's the best part of my job is that every single day every single time i get to create something i'm playing so it, it never really feels like work to me so and that's cool. awesome it's it's um, so great to to be that involved in in your career and it's it's such a i guess a creative way to be all the time and if you love what you do you you never work a day in your life right so uh it's incredible that you can do that and uh uh looking through your work and stuff like that, uh, you have a real skill and a real eye for it. And it's awesome that you want to share that with other people um, as well, through your uh, schooling, your educating. Yeah. How does that work with your educating? Do you have like classes and workshops that you run or is it um, a different way of doing things? Yeah. So just a little bit of a backstory on me as an educator. I've been a quasi teacher for quite some time. I actually taught kids uh filmmaking when i was in my early 20s and i've always loved teaching people but i've never really had my own platform for doing that i've never really had a place to send people so last year i, I spent quite a bit of time putting together my own online platform and it's called simo students and it's a monthly subscription-based platform where you sign up you pay a fee every month and then you get access to all my tutorials it's constantly being updated it's basically me trying to get everything that's in my brain onto this platform so I can teach people the things that I do. That's awesome. 
I've wanted to do that so badly. I just don't think I have enough things in my brain to make a platform full. So <laughs> good for you for, for doing all that. That's a lot of work. I know how hard that could be. I run a day tripper photo of business teaching photography as well. And, uh, you know, every time I talk to somebody who's an educator, my first thought is how rewarding is it when you see your students do amazing things to me, that's the, the pinnacle of everything I do is seeing students do work better than mine. And it just gets me so amped. How, how does that make you feel when you start seeing your students progress to that point? Oh, it fills my cup up to the max and makes it overflow. I mean, whenever I'm teaching, it puts me awesome. straight in, straight into flow state. Um, I've been doing this for such a long time that teaching is almost second nature to me. And I just get so excited by teaching in an effective way so that you can have sort of like real-time feedback with somebody and you can see the work on the other side. There's a lot of, there's so much content available to, to learn from on the internet, but a lot of it feels sort of one-sided where you don't have that mentorship feeling. You're watching tutorials on YouTube, but it's really difficult to truly connect with the person who's teaching you. And I think teaching really is a two-way street. Um, because you have to get feedback, you have to get criticism, you have to ask questions. And a lot of this is not really possible with a lot of the educational material on the internet. So it's been extremely learns, fulfilling. Yeah, everyone learns differently. So you have to change what you do for each person you talk to. So that's a great observation that a lot of people don't get. And that, that's so true because so many people will go to YouTube and try and learn these things by watching videos. Oh, I learned photography by watching YouTube. I can't see anybody learning fully that way like you pick up some nuggets and once you understand foundations you can pick up some nuggets that way and 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 go your own way but i totally agree with you having somebody that can you can bounce ideas off of and you have to see how they learn to get that information to them in a way they can absorb it so that's great that you do that yeah i mean i i think you can pretty much learn the basics of photography in about six months you can learn aperture shutter speed you can learn framing every three hours like yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Like it's it's not that complicated, but really where it starts to become challenging and what a lot of people don't think about are the more ethereal concepts behind photography. Like how are you telling a good story? What is your frame about? What is the meaning behind your actual photography? Like a lot of people take quote unquote cool shots, but they can feel empty. And there's not a lot of content for how to become a better storyteller, whether you're a filmmaker, photographer, TikToker, like story is paramount. And that's one of the things that I really tried to push out to my students is, is what's the meaning behind the content that you're creating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why that's it's, so it's content. It's what's it called? The, the topic and how passionate about the topic you are and how you express that through whatever medium you're in. Like this podcast in specifics, we don't just talk to photographers and videographers, even though we, most of us are photographers and videographers. Um, we talk to, we know. you know, chefs, uh, artists, you know, like a, a wide range of uh, different kind of artists. And it's all about the content. It's all about the message you put across. Um, and uh, that's a really great way to, to teach your students that, that passion that are behind it. Because at the end of the day, people... At the end of the day, people that are experiencing content, whether they know it or not, they want to feel something. They want to feel something in a five-second TikTok. They want to feel something in a 90-minute documentary. That's why a lot of like pre-roll ads, um, advertising, one-off photos, they don't really do much. And that's why it can be so easy to just constantly scroll through an infinite stream of content because there's a lot of content that doesn't really grab you. But when something does, you feel it so intrinsically right away. Like there's been content where within 15 seconds, I'm shedding a tear because it was so beautiful or within two seconds, I'm laughing out loud. And that kind of content I think is less dime a dozen. Um, but with a little bit of thought, foresight and creativity, like you can really make people feel something from your content. Absolutely. And yours is amazing, amazing stuff. I've got, uh, for those who are listening right now and not watching on YouTube, um, I'm sharing basically your student, your SEMO students webpage and just looking through this, I mean, you have it so clearly laid out, uh, impossible visual visuals, drone tricks. You do a lot of 360 work. I was actually going to ask you about that. Uh, there's this one video you have outside a car that's flipping 
so cool uh, and very creative, very, very creative. Um, how did you learn this stuff? I've been a tinkerer my entire life. When I was a kid, I loved taking things apart and putting them back together. Whenever there's new tech, it's just like, ooh, a new toy to play with. And I love pushing the boundaries of content creation. I love having access to as many tools on my tool belt as possible. I, I would like to picture myself as Batman wearing the, two, like the bat belt, but I'm wearing like 10 bat belts and they're covering my entire body. I just want to keep filling <laughs> my bat belt. And to me, 360 is just a perfect example of increasing my skill set. It's just such an interesting tool where you can not so much worry about what you're capturing in the moment because you're capturing everything. It reminds me of theater in a way. We sort of just let things play out. And then in post-production, you can just do amazing things. You can reframe, you have an invisible floating camera. 360 was very game-changing to me. And it's just one example of just adding a skill set to my repertoire because I never want to stay stagnant in my advancement in my career. And like, so I'm always getting excited off new opportunities and they're always inspiring me. So it's sort of a, a two-way street again, where new content, new tech inspires me. And then that in turn makes really interesting content. So I've kind of chalked that up in, in the way I teach to level of interest. You've got an extremely high level of interest in this stuff and anything that comes out, you just dig in. It's just who you are. It's not something you have to try for. It's just in your brain. Um, teaching people that have a higher level of interest is always easier, which is why I love teaching the essentials, the photo basics. So I think you and I would work well together. I would cover the basics and then you can take them on this creative journey that would just blow their mind, which I <laughs> love. And I'm a firm believer of people should learn from everybody. I mean, you can pick up something from anybody who's willing to spend time and teach you. So to have yeah. so many different diverse people out there who are willing to take that time and help people out, uh, people just have to latch onto it. Anytime somebody gives me credit for helping them, I'm like, no, 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 no. I did nothing other than share what I know. It's, it's you that have the level of interest to take that information and learn it and practice it and work it, you know, plant it and water it and grow that seed into a big, huge tree. That's the person that deserves the credit. So um, I think you've got this amazing passion and high level of interest that anybody could benefit from. And I'm thinking of signing up because <laughs> uh, <laughs> like you could learn from everybody and in your use of the creativity side of it i think i could learn a lot from so that's really cool honestly there's some cool stuff in there and uh i'm actually dropping a, a really detailed project breakdown today about my latest gh6 300 frames per second reel that i made and i saw that i went through and broke down the entire project i'm like wow there's a lot of things that are so easy to me but are like I could see them be very interesting to someone who doesn't really know these things. Like it's so easy for me to understand the tricks that I've picked up over the years, but when I package them all together, I think there's a lot of cool nuggets in there. Yeah. The cinema graph, is that what you're talking about? The 360? The, the, the uh, latest reel that I no. posted, uh, Panasonic sent me the, the new GH6 camera and I was going through the list of features. I'm like, Ooh, 300 frames per second. I've never really had access to that before in a full frame point of view like whenever i've tried to shoot slow-mo before it's been severely cropped on a red camera or it just doesn't look good um and so having access to 300 frames per second i knew i had to showcase it. i knew i had to play around with it and add that new tool and technique to my bat belt essentially yeah so and it was that video you... with the fire right exactly yeah yeah oh, okay all right i yeah. couldn't find it just readily so that's cool so you did fire in 300 frames per second yeah which is just such a beautiful combination it's, it's the best way to experience fire. Yeah, It's great because it's self-illuminating. So you get that brighter light right from it. So you, even at faster frames per second, you're not too dark and it's looking rich. Uh, I've, I tried some 1200 frame per second Casio stuff years ago and it just, everything goes dark and flickery. So it's just very weird. 300 frames per second, I guess. I mean, GH6 is stellar. What was your big takeaway from trying the GH6 for the first time? I, I've been a big fan of Panasonic for a long time, but I've never really been a big fan of micro four thirds sensors, especially being a, like a big proponent of like full frame or APS-C or 35 millimeter film. I always found that it was just lacking in both depth and just like that magic of full frame. But this camera packs such a punch, it blew me away. The fact that it has so much crammed into a little teeny camera body 
I think it's going to be my go-to for travel because I have a, like a big honking Panasonic S1H and that's a heavy I boy. I saw that. Saw that in your um, photos. But if I could have a camera that weighs one quarter of the S1H and does pretty much everything it can do, plus a little bit more, that's 100% going in my pack. I've noticed Panasonic's always a couple of years ahead of everybody. They put like everything out first. They were the first to have the, the post-focus feature, the 4K photo, all those little benefits that they have. Um, it's really cool to see what they do. And then everybody kind of takes tech from them, it seems. And they come My up very first film camera, like a digital film camera, was the Panasonic DVX-100B, which was the first three-chip camera that could do 24P. Wow. And that blew my mind because before that it was always 30 frames per second interlaced video. And I hated it. And mm -hmm. I thought it looked like television, but this camera yeah. added progressive scan and 24 frames per, sec per second. So I'm like, wow, now I have what the big boys in Hollywood have for a fraction of the price. This is a game changer for me. Amazing. Yeah. I do like Panasonic. It's good stuff. And I agree with you about the four third sensor, but this isn't a photography show. So I have to remember, <laughs> I can't get too photo geeky. Yeah. It's very it goes easy. the rabbit hole easily. <laughs> <laughs> very easy. <laughs> um, I want to know about like, what was your first experience into video? Cause you said you're a tinkerer. You're, you said that you're like super into um, taking things apart, getting to know things and, and that kind of thing. So uh, what was that first experience like for you? And, and when did you kind of like say that, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to, uh, you know, with content creation, this is what I want to keep doing and showing, uh, teaching people how to do. I was actually very, very young. And in fact, it's one of my first memories as a human being. Wow. My dad had a video camera, just a really basic Sony video camera from the early 90s. And we were on a trip to Italy. I was about three years old and he was filming everything. He just loved to film. And I kept tugging on his pant leg. I was just a wee little three-year-old at this point. And I'm like, dad, can I see, can I see? Because I wanted to see through the viewfinder because to me, it felt like a different world. It felt like I had control over the narrative of what I was seeing. And it felt like I was peering into a different universe and I became transfixed by seeing the world through a viewfinder. And I never lost that magic where I almost love experiencing the world through a viewfinder more than in reality sometimes. That's why I have to leave the camera at home <laughs> because if I could watch it through the viewfinder the entire time, I probably would. And that magic never really, like once I was bit with that bug, it never really left me and I started creating content by shooting my friends in the backyard, just like messing around. And I would edit it with two VCRs back to back. I would do stuff in reverse. Um, and I became the guy who was known for doing video. So whenever we had to do a video project, my friends would hire me to help them film it and they would pay me. <laughs> That's <laughs> so awesome. Very early on when I'm like eight, nine years old, I had this entrepreneurial spirit but helping my friends create video. And then luckily I went to a fantastic high school in, uh, in Markham called Unionville High School. They had a great media program. They had like a full green screen, a bunch of uh, Canon GL2s and XL1s. And I really cut my teeth there in high school. And uh, there was a brief second when I wanted to become a lawyer I really liked watching Ally McBeal when I was younger for some reason. And I thought it'd be really, <laughs> really cool to just like argue with people for a living. But uh, <laughs> once I actually took law in high school, I'm like, oh, there's not so much creativity or freedom in this. It's very rigid. And so I dropped out of that and went straight back into film and never looked back. Wow. That's so awesome. So you've done that from day one. You've been making your money, making your living with film. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, I've been very lucky, but it's been a, a lot of hard work. There's been a lot of road bumps, but I would have never done it any other way. That's, Good for you. That's awesome. It's so inspiring. And it's, it's really nice that your, your dad was a part of that too. Um, so I guess in, in some ways you get that kind of love for filming. He's always recording things from mm -hmm. him. Um, are your, is your family like creative in that way as well? Um, my mom, uh, she was a writer, so she would uh, 
be creative through her words. And my dad was just creative in a childlike spirit. He was just like always planning games and adventures for me and my brother to have. And uh, I really took that like interesting way he would craft narrative and that stuck with me. He was always telling stories and he was always creating stories. So despite the fact that he wasn't super creative in photography or video, he was an extremely creative person and just being a good storyteller. And, and that's something that uh, I'll never forget. Well, you can see that it's impacted how you think of the world and so on. Um, having a good story, in my opinion, is essential. I'm not a big fan of a lot of portrait photography because it's like, hey, there's a pretty girl standing there. It doesn't do anything for me. If, if there's a story behind it, and that's when I started falling in love with light painting, which I saw a lot of your work is um, being able to put the light where you want it and create the story you're trying to tell. Like instead of a, a model standing there, you have a, a woman standing there working on a car and the car is lit in a certain way. And then the, the certain areas on the wall where the tools are, are lit in a certain way. This is the way my brain works with telling a different story than a standard portrait. And I could see that your brain kind of goes there too, where you have a lot of light and color and, there's always some hidden story in everything that you you make. Um, is that something you did from day one as well? You were always finding that story, like you were inspired by your dad and your mom? I was also a, a huge cinephile from a very early age. I was just consuming so much content, like movie after movie after movie. I remember every day after school, I would go to our video store and get something new, or I would get the latest video game with like a really stellar story and play it from start to finish. And so uh, I think I was just always learning the background, whether I knew it or not, that uh, like interesting stories grab you and meaningless content doesn't really do it for me. So I can't really picture a way where I'm not injecting some sort of emotion into my content um, because then it wouldn't really be me or my content anymore. Well, that's why you have as many followers as you do. It connects with people, you know, it, it makes a big difference when you can, connect with people in a way with a story than just something superficial for sure. Now I noticed on your Instagram page, all of your images, you have your titles on them and everything. Uh, when did that start for you with the branding of what you do? That started pretty much in tandem with CMO students when I wanted to really have an obvious brand about what I'm doing. And I wanted to take sort of that YouTube approach and bring it into Instagram where there's a lot of power behind the thumbnail. And despite just seeing that for the first time, if somebody ever sends your content to a friend, it's getting sent and you're seeing that thumbnail. So I wanted to pretty much guarantee a click by people by making a really engaging first sight about what I'm creating. So without a doubt, you can look at my content now and be like, okay, this is what I can expect. Mm -hmm. I think that's something Aurora we can learn from with our Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we, at the beginning of when we started doing the show, we thought, you know, we'd have the photos of the guests and the little square, kind of like the Brady Bunch kind of photos. And then as things go on, we're starting to realize that it doesn't really tell what the shows are about by just posting that. You know, you can see who the person is, but you can't tell what the show is about. So it's a great way to to clean up your, your feed and to give people a very clear idea of what they can expect. And uh, I think we're going to learn from you on this one. Right. I mean, in this day and age, we all have such short attention spans that anything I can do to sort of trick you into watching my content, I'll try it. Yeah, because there's so much out there. You have to stand out for sure. Very cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the text and then also I've noticed on Instagram, the amount of, of views that you get when you post a reel versus just like a regular photo. Um, it's incredible. Like, uh, the amount of uh, like how much different uh, things are <laughs> um, with that. Um, and well, whether uh, people like it or not, Instagram is now a video sharing app. Yeah. And so video is king on that platform. I think a lot of people are upset by that, but I think it's also, it's been a good push for photographers and content creators alike to really expand their skill set. Yeah. Because Brands and clients are no longer looking for straight shot creators that can just do one thing. They're, they're really wanting that content creator that can do more and tell a story through unique methods. And so I think it's, it's a disservice to not understand at least a little bit of photography as a filmmaker and vice versa, understanding a little bit of video as a photographer. Yeah. Good point. 
Yeah, definitely. It's a full package. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, one it, thing I goes back. Sorry, yeah, go Aurora, it goes back to what you said about as many tools as possible. Having that that belt, you know, you should always have. We've interviewed other people like Tally Roden, who is a stunt woman, who says very much the same thing. You know, she takes all these different courses and learns all these different skills. Uh, she's a ninja, but she can also dance, you know, like all these different things uh, just to fill up your bat belt. So I think that's essential in this day and age, at, at least to be successful, is to have as much diversity and the ability to do as many things as possible in one package. One person. And these additional skills were really fill in the blanks and blind spots of your, your main career. I mean, being a photographer has fundamentally changed how I look at creating video. Um, being a DJ as a side hobby has fundamentally changed how I look at audio. Um, being more into spirituality and meditation has fundamentally changed how I approach, uh, shoots and production and just like managing things. So like all these things support each other and it's good to really round yourself out in that skill set, not just focusing on just gear, just tech, just learning Adobe. Um, yeah. so like having, having a, having broad strokes with your skill set has definitely helped me as a creator. Very cool. Sorry, Roy, I didn't mean to cut you off there uh yeah it's not a big deal um i was just wondering um because i mentioned earlier you're the creator of neon demon studios so i want to uh get into that a little bit about um uh, what your idea for the studio was when you initially opened it up um like the, the humble beginnings of it um as well as like where it is at now uh, because i do know i believe that if you're selling it soon um, and that type of thing, and there's a bit of uh, a bit of that, so I'd love to I'd love to hear the story on that. Yeah, so just taking you back in time a little bit, when I first moved to Toronto, uh, I think I had um, bigger eyes than I could actually afford in terms of the place I wanted to live in, and so my friend and I we got a loft that was a little bit too expensive, but it was a beautiful loft, and so we quickly found that we really couldn't afford rent. So we started finding ways to make additional money. And so we rented it out as a photography studio. And mm -hmm. I quickly learned that this is a great way to live in an amazing place, make money passively in the background, and learn more about photography and being a business owner. So I'd been running a studio for about seven years prior to opening Neon Demon. And like many things in my life, I can start to get a little bit bored if I'm doing the same thing for too long. So being a studio owner didn't really satisfy that itch anymore. And I wanted to create something that was brand new. And I'd been starting to collect neon just randomly. I went to a garage sale once. I saw this beautiful, beautiful sign that said film cameras. It was a, a neon sign from the 1930s. And wow. I, was, I was blown away that neon is such old technology, despite the fact that it still feels like it's from the future. And it's the only source of light that can really tell a story. And, and that really resonated with me because, I mean, I love light, I love color, and I love storytelling. So it's everything sort of in one package for me. So I started collecting more and more neon. And I still had my photography studio at the time. And so I, it went from one sign to three signs to five signs. And I thought to myself, like, my bedroom started to look a little bit like the Las Vegas Strip. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> But yeah. everybody that comes through is in love with the neon. It's the most photographed thing in my studio by far. And so I kept going down that rabbit hole and I kept collecting. And I thought I should probably get a storage unit for all this neon sign because it's clearly a passion of mine. I'm going to keep collecting. But then I had the idea to, instead of get a storage unit, why don't I just get another space and be able to share my neon collection with the world? So I found a studio in uh, Toronto's East End. And my collection quickly grew from five signs to 15 to 45. Wow. Holy geez. The span of about six months, I went crazy just finding signs at junkyards, at estate sales, on eBay, through Craigslist, literally walking into businesses saying, are you done with this neon sign? Can I purchase it from you? <laughs> and I assembled it in a really meaningful way in this space where it wasn't just a bunch of neon hanging on the wall. I actually thought about the story. I thought about color combination. I thought about creating scenes that I myself would want to shoot in because I knew that if I made it the way that I wanted to make it, it would resonate with others because I, 
I was just so passionate about it. So it wasn't just neon hanging in a space. It, it was creating a scene. It was creating a feeling. That's why there's all these different pockets in the studio that are reminiscent of like an outdoor phone booth scene in New York or like a gritty Neo Tokyo bathroom. There's just like so many possibilities in that studio. And immediately I knew I was onto something. This was about four years ago before Neon really blew up. Uh, Neon's really been in its heyday ever since and people love photographing Neon. You can obviously see the trend on Instagram. But that to me was the very obvious evolution of being a business owner and a photography studio owner because it wasn't just a boring loft studio with good light. It was something that I had made from scratch, from my imagination, and I was in love with it. So the fact that I could share it with the world uh, really, really made me happy. So it's been open for four years now. It's gone through many evolutions. I've completely dismantled it all the way to scratch and rebuilt it and created new scenes mm -hmm. so that I stay interested with it. And at this point, I think it's ready for the next evolution. So sort of whether I knew it or not, I was creating the unofficial Neon Museum of Toronto because <laughs> a lot of my neon signs are heritage signs from Toronto, from the GTA. And I have one of the biggest collections in North America. Very so cool. I've been chatting with the city of Toronto and we are working on a partnership for them to potentially take it over. So I'm not trying to end Neon Demon. I'm not trying to collapse it or sell it. I'm trying to evolve it and make it something more than it is because I've always wanted to have it be a sort of launching pad for the next generation of creators. I would love to have students come in and not only learn about photography, but learn about the history of neon. And if they can learn something while doing something fun and take an epic selfie, like that makes me really happy. But as a single human being, it's been extremely challenging to do this all by myself. No doubt. So I'm trying to micromanage less. I'm trying to be supported by people who know much more than me in their respective field. And the only way forward is now through collaboration. And so that is the next phase of Neon Demon. That's awesome. Good that is so cool. And it's, it's really neat to hear the background of that because one of the reasons why I really wanted to go to Neon Demon was me and my friends, uh, uh, some of my girlfriends a few years back, we decided we wanted to go to Las Vegas. And one of the biggest regrets of that trip was not going to the Neon Graveyard in in Vegas um, of all the old neon signs, either at night or during the day, either way it would be incredibly cool. So when we found your uh, studio online, with the neon, we're like, my one photographer friend who also went with me to Vegas, um, we're like, we have to shoot there because we missed out on it in Vegas. So this is this is our uh, kind of way of, of doing something similar. And uh, it's so incredible that you're kind of transitioning into a similar kind of thing with the city of, uh, city of Toronto, you said? That's right. Um, yeah. yeah which is super cool. I, I think that's, that's absolutely amazing. And um, I, uh, I had such a great experience uh, working there. We had a lot of fun. I, uh, one of our friends dressed up in all this holographic, um, you know, shiny material kind of clothes. And we got a couple good pictures of each other as well. Um, and uh, it was just an incredible experience. The, the two guys that we spoke with, um, Clyde, I think um, we spoke over the phone and uh, his intern, uh, the younger gentleman that led us into the studio, all incredibly uh, amazing service. Um, just, uh, just generally an awesome, an awesome time. Uh, one comment that I had about that was uh, on your scenes, you know, you, you set out to make specific scenes and there's so many different looks in that studio with like the walls of the TV, the telephone booth, uh, the space gate, uh, the vending machines, um, the, the couch uh, with all the lights around it, uh, the giant lucky sign with the, the fence. Um, and there's just so many different looks in the studio that 
in the pictures and in the video, it seems so much bigger and so much of an expansive space than it actually is because there are so many scenes. There are so many landscapes in the actual studio that me and my friend are like, oh, we have two hours. How are we going to travel from here to here to here to here? But it, it was just set up so perfectly. We just went across and around the whole thing um, and took several looks, several different poses and in, in several different scenes and just had an, an incredible time the whole time. It went it went so smoothly and we had such a fun time. So hey. uh, thank you for creating such a amazing space. <laughs> well, that makes me extremely happy to hear. So yeah. thank, thank I'm so glad you could see it. And yeah. you're certainly not the first person to say that it, it feels bigger than it actually is. And that was a very purposeful thing I set out to do because I only had 1200 square feet of space. It's yeah. just like a, a big box of a room. And I'm like, how am I gonna make this feel like it's a whole bunch of different rooms, um, but literally you're just like pivoting your camera and you have a whole different scene from left to right. So yeah. it, it was a lot of creative problem solving and thinking. And it was like playing this gigantic game of 3D Tetris with very fragile neon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but i think it does have a very cohesive feeling to it despite having it a whole bunch of different signs from different eras and different props uh, but there's just like in my opinion infinite potential in there for content creation especially with uh, the ipad i'm not sure if you played around with that yes but I, ha I have everything rigged up on remote switches so with a master control ipad you can turn every single sign on and off individually to create your own custom scene yeah which so and well then done yeah, he mentioned that you can like do like different colors, like if you only wanted the red or whatever it may be. We didn't experiment with that too, too much, but we got a chance to play around with it a little bit. And yeah, it was just so fun. So cool. <laughs> I was just uh, sharing your page there and I'm scrolling through the photos and lo and behold, there's Peter McKinnon hanging out yeah. in your studio. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he came by a couple of years ago and he was blown away by it. So cool to have him there. He, he made a little tutorial on low light neon photography. And yeah, we've been friends ever since. He's uh, just such a That's really great dude. Yeah, he's a great creator for sure. Yeah, definitely. I was in, uh, as soon as I saw him there, I was like, oh yeah, Pete would love that space. Love that <laughs> space. All right. Wow, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what uh, kind of advice, because you uh, touched on earlier, there was some, you know, uh, as a content creator, as successful as yourself, you you mentioned that you've had some bumps along the way, you've had some challenges and, and stuff like that. What kind of advice would you give to aspiring content creators when they face the same types of challenges that you faced um, and kind of how to handle that, how to move forward um, and keep creating? Well, one of the biggest things that I experienced very early on and also almost every single time I have a new project is imposter syndrome, like we all do. The brain can be yeah. a very cruel mistress when it comes to telling yourself that you are not good enough, even though I think deep down inside, you know, you are, but it can be very easy to fall prey to that fact that I, I don't know the skill set for this project. I don't know how to lead a team. I don't know what I'm doing. But you have to trust yourself that there's a camera in your hand for a reason. You've put in the hard work and you're constantly bettering yourself. And there's a reason why you got hired for this. Unless you're a grade A liar who can just talk through their teeth, there's a reason why you've been hired or why you're creating. The biggest thing is just to have confidence. And I know that that can be very challenging for a lot of young creators seeing so many other creators out there but if you lack confidence, that should be an invitation to find it and to find your own niche and style. I think niching down is an important lesson that all creators have to understand at some point. But at the same time, you don't necessarily have to niche down um, and get super specific. I mean, if you look at my feed and the content that I create, it's actually sort of hard to put your finger on what it is specifically that I do because I do photography, I do video, I do time-lapse. I've been a professional cinematographer and director and writer, and that's not niching down in any capacity. But then again, if you look at my style, I think my style is my version of niching down. 
where I've I found that outlet for impossible visuals for heavily stylized cinematic shots and color. And if you're not constantly experimenting as a creator and trying things, it's going to be very difficult to establish that style. And while you're doing that, you might also find your niche and it's perfectly fine to niche down to become like a food photographer or strictly a time lapse or, or a drone pilot. So you have to remember that, yes, there is a lot of competition, but it's a journey and it's going to be challenging. You're going to have imposter syndrome. Just remember that you are good enough. And there's a reason that you wanted to choose this path for your life. So don't let people distract you. Don't compare yourself to others. Just remember that this is your own specific journey and you have to enjoy it warts and all because to be a content creator truly is a gift in my opinion. And just remember that everyone from amateurs to professionals like myself, we all experience imposter syndrome. It's just part of the job and you're going to get through it. Um, Great advice. So many good pieces Great. of advice in there, but yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Brian and myself and, and Mark and Ryan have talked about the imposter syndrome multiple times before, you know, uh, not feeling like your work is good enough to to put out there, to share with people, to uh, even put a price tag on it. Um, mm. And it's it, it can be a difficult thing to, to get through and, and, and work on, but... Um, it's super important that we just need to not compare ourselves to others, compare ourselves to where we've been in the past and how we're growing um, is always a, uh, a great way of, um, a great way of thinking of it for sure. Yeah. Um, exactly. so. And it's not just young creators either. You know, it's yeah. some old creators too have that issue. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Definitely, it's it's a real a real issue to deal with, and it's it's nice to hear somebody like yourself. I mean, you're established; you've been doing this since birth, pretty much. Um, you're you're hanging out with people like Peter and all these other creative people. Uh, to hear from somebody like yourself that you still have a problem with the imposter syndrome, it's I think it's important, at least for me to hear, because I'm sitting here looking at your work, thinking like, oh man, this guy can do anything. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, the color, the, the stories. It's awesome. And yet you still have self-doubt and you still have um, the imposter syndrome creep up on you every once in a while. So it's good to hear. Not that it's good that it's happening to you. Sorry about that. But, you know, it's, it's good that you're uh, everybody. Is, it's a human element that everybody goes through. You know, I think the that's something I have to remind myself. Yeah, the self-doubt will always be there. It will be there from birth to death. But the thing that changes is how you manage it and how you reframe that narrative in your mind. And so while imposter syndrome happens less and less as I become more of a professional, it's still there, but I just have different tools for managing it, reframing it, lowering stress, lowering fear, and just really taking a breath so that I don't let my mind run wild. Awesome. awesome. Um, Brian, do you have any final questions before we get into our last three for John? I do. I have three Okay, let's jump <laughs> three into final those. Questions before the final <laughs> three questions. Uh, first off, location <laughs> scouting. I was looking through some of your shots, and the locations are amazing. Is this all local Toronto stuff that you shoot at, or do you, how, how much time do you spend finding locations to shoot? Oh, man, it's such a headache because locations are so paramount to all my shoots. Um, I mean, it does the speaking for you before you've even begun capturing. Yeah. So without a good location, I mean, your whole shoot's going to fall apart. So... I really value my locations. I, I hold them close to the chest, but also I like to give advice on how to find them. Um, so for example, one of the most important things for any automotive shoot is the location. I think more than most other niches, I think location for automotive photography is so critical. So when that's where I was noticing it as well, by the way, with the, the AMG, the, the Mercedes shoots and stuff like that. So, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm constantly sort of creating this Rolodex of locations in my mind. So if I'm on a hike, uh, which for that AMG location, I was actually on a hike randomly. And I said, wow, this would be perfect for like a spooky car commercial. And so I have this app called Photo Pills where you can actually save locations. So whenever I find a really interesting location that I think could be cool for something down the line, whether or not I have a project in the go or not, 
I, I take a single photo of the location, I tag the GPS coordinates and I write a little note. And over time, this location list gets quite vast. I have hundreds upon hundreds of locations now within this app. So if I need a gritty bridge or like a something that feels uh, very like gritty and iconic, then I just open up photo pills. I take a look at, I sort everything by bridge. And then I can see the like 15 bridges that I've walked by over my years in Toronto. I'm like, oh, that one is perfect. So it's sort of like having a second brain in your pocket because there's no way I could ever remember all these locations off the top of my head. Yeah, but now sure. I'm essentially awesome. my, my own location scout whenever I'm just interacting with the world. Perfect. Perfect. That's that so cool. What, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> second question, pixel stick. Tell me about your experience with the pixel stick. I've always wanted one. Is it worth it? Should I get one? Um, I run light painting workshops and dark workshops and a friend of mine has a, a variant of a pixel stick. Um, what's your experience with the pixel stick? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I think it's pretty specific in its use case because there was a lot of moments when I'm shooting with it when it just looks like bad Photoshop. <laughs> so, so something I learned very early on is that in your scene, when light painting, if you don't have any reflections or, way, or ways to ambiently show that this light is interacting with the real world, it's going to fall apart. So for me, whenever I'm doing light painting or pixel stick, I try to have water on the ground, reflections. I try to have it near something because creating that kind of light bounce is almost impossible in Photoshop. It's so complicated. Uh, so for the shots where it just looks like you Photoshopped a rainbow into your frame, that doesn't do it for me. But if you can really utilize light painting in your environment, it's a super, super cool thing. And I love seeing the results when you hit that 30 second shutter and then dance around your scene and then get to see instantaneously what that looks like. It's very, very satisfying, but very cool. If it's not interacting with your environment, to me, it falls flat. Yeah, it's just like it's pasted on the photo. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. And last question I have is, um, have you noticed your studio has gotten busier since COVID because people can't go to Vegas? <laughs> Um, sadly, no, COVID was very challenging to work through. I think, uh, with Toronto being in lockdown for 18 plus months, despite the fact that we were constantly wondering, can we be open right now? Can we not? There was a lot of fear about being in public and shooting in open spaces. So it was definitely challenging for the studio, but now that the world is starting to resume some sense of normalcy, uh, we have been the busiest we've been throughout the entire four year duration. Good, good to hear. I, I wish you all the success in the world. You're doing great work. I love your imagery. I love your stories. And uh, seriously, can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today, for sure. You got you to go visit. I'd love for you to see I it. want to. Maybe Aurora and I, and I can take a trip down and she can show me around. Yeah, let oh, me know. Cool. I'll make it happen. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. 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 Um, okay, so we're in our last three questions. These are the same three questions we ask every guest. Um, you actually have spoken about tools many times um, across this podcast. Um, so uh, every week we ask our guests, what is your tool of the trade? Uh, it can be a physical tool, could be a physical item that you use on a regular basis to create your content, um, to help you educate people, to um, help you with your filmmaking, but it could also be something that's not physical. It could be a frame of mind, state of mind, whatever it may be. So what would you say is your tool of the trade uh, that helps you to be expressive, be creative, and make your content? Well, I have a bit of a cop-out answer because to <laughs> me it's sort of split down the middle. and. Okay. It, so in one camp, my tool of the trade is my phone in my pocket because that gives me infinite access to infinite tools. So it's sort of like if you could wish for a wish, I would wish for a million wishes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because at, at any given point, I can capture a video, a photograph, a cinemagraph, a time lapse. Like I can, I can do almost anything. And it might not be at pro quality, but it allows me to be creative at any given moment. So if you don't understand how to properly use your phone, as a content creator, you're missing out. But beyond that answer, uh, I think one of my best tools is putting myself into a state of imagination. And to me, that is walking. 
in nature specifically. I have been very lucky that my ideas seem to enter my mind seemingly at random from the ether, but the place where they happen almost nonstop is when I'm just walking in nature, not listening to a podcast, not on the phone, not engaging with anything else. I'm just calm. And it allows the mind to do what it does best, which is imagine. So for me, whenever I'm stuck, I go for a walk. Whenever I'm feeling stressed, I go into nature. And that is something that I've also done since birth. My family has been very a very big proponent of taking me into the woods, essentially letting me play. And so that's something that I have never stopped doing. And I'm very thankful to now have nature as my backyard living here in BC. So that that's my main tool of the trade, get out into nature. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I actually saw your story, I think, from yesterday or whatever, of you walking in nature, um, explaining almost the exact same thing. So I was like, okay, that that, that makes sense. Um, That's awesome. And I believe you were using your phone to record that video. So both tools. Exactly. In one, <laughs> in one video. Uh, How awesome. timely. That was perfect. <laughs> Um, okay, um, so uh, the next question is, what is your jam? What is your favorite song that kind of uh, gets you going, um, gets you amped up, um, helps you to be creative? What is that song that you'll never turn off, you'll always listen to? Oh man, what a question. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that maybe a lot of people don't know about me is that I love like extremely aggressive, like bass music because I'm inherently a very introverted passive person who's very soft-spoken but I will rage out hard to some heavy electronic music and to me that just puts me right into flow it makes me so happy it gives me shivers even talking about it um, and as uh, as a DJ like I, I DJ on the side I'm also listening to music and building the playlists in my mind um, so yeah, I'd love to do an edit someday to like heavy dubstep. And I think that'd be very fascinating because it's such a dynamic type of music. You can do almost anything with it on the cutting room floor. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, don't awesome. I don't strictly listen to hardcore dubstep, but uh, it does make me very happy. <laughs> does a specific song or artist come to mind? Yeah, uh, there's this, this young kid named Effin E-F-F-I-N. He's like 19 years old. He's doing some crazy stuff with sound design and his tracks are very, very heavy. Um, there's a track called Shia LaBeouf. That <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's funny. Okay. All right, listen to that. Cool. All right. Um, so now to our last question. Every week we ask our guests to issue a challenge to our listeners and viewers. Um, to kind of help them be creative and uh, try something new. Um, so what would your challenge uh, to our listeners or viewers be? Yeah, so I thought about this one and I have a, I have a really good one. I've done this okay. many times and it's, it's very challenging because it really makes you think outside the box. So my challenge to both of you and your viewers is take an out of focus photo. And okay. what I mean by that is that you're purposely either turning focus all the way on your camera or you're going on your phone, you're hitting focus lock and shifting it all the way out of focus. Because to tell a story with your camera out of focus is difficult. Everything is blurred and smearing together. But if you can tell an out of focus shot, it's gonna make you a sharper, no pun intended, storyteller when things are actually in focus. So it takes a little bit of time to think about like, how am I gonna tell a story or take a good photo if it's out of focus? But that simple act of thinking is going to help you think about how to take better photos across the board. That's a great That's challenge. Awesome. I'm down, really totally down for that. I'm going to try nice. it. Um, nice. You know, it's kind of funny you said that because I was going through some of my photos I took at your studio. It was actually just uh, on Saturday I went to your studio. Um, and um, one of my favorite shots that I just kind of like, just scanning through. See, I haven't done any editing. One of my favorite shots that stood out to me was a shot in the telephone booth. We sprayed a bunch of water on um, 
on the telephone booth. And uh, my friend who's a model, who's the subject of most of our photos, was um, in the telephone booth. But um, I, instead of focusing on her, I tried to focus on the water droplets. Um, and I got this really cool, moody photo of, you know, the water droplets, but her in the background kind of telling this like, you know, story where she's looking away, looking far off. And um, yeah, it just had a totally different feel than the ones that I actually had focused on her. Um, so yeah, so you know exactly what I'm talking about then, because yeah. it, it sort of begs the question to make the viewer think a little bit more and look a little bit deeper. Like yeah. What's actually happening in the background? Who is this person? Why can't I quite see them? And it really makes you question the whole frame itself, because it's less black and white. It's less yeah. of you, like, as a photographer, yes, it's great to direct your audience to what you want them to see. But at the same time, it's nice to be able to let them play through their visual eyesight as well. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try that some more for sure. <laughs> well, I got a lot of visual uh, thoughts when you were explaining that image. Like, you're, you're hearing somebody in a phone booth with the rain in front. So you're wondering, what's she doing in the middle of a rainstorm out in the phone booth? You know, like what drove her to have to be there? Was there a, like a family domestic abuse or was there like there was all these things that could possibly come from that. So that's really cool. Yeah. I, I like how you can use an image to tell an entire story where in video you pretty much have to tell the story with your video throughout a single frame of an image. You're leaving the viewer to really interpret the entire story. So to have something confusing like this is out of focus as is it should be out of focus or am I looking at texture or depth or like, what am I looking at here? Um, that tells a completely different story and it really does challenge the viewer to put a, a story to it. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to taking that challenge and starting to think nice. of ideas yeah. as we go. Amazing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Cause that. I think a lot of people think is out of focus shots as mistakes, but they don't have to be, they can tell stories in sure. their own right. Yeah. I don't think there's such a thing as perfect. Perfect isn't perfect. So uh, <laughs> there's, Definitely a lot that can be done with an out of focus image. Very cool. So cool. Thank you so much for coming on and, and being on the show, John. Um, you are uh, an awesome photographer, videographer, content creator, um, and educator. And it's so great that you just want to give back um, to all these people who are aspiring to do the same thing that you do. Um, so that, that says a lot for sure. And, uh, really Thank appreciate you. Uh, being on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I uh, can't wait to see more of what you do now that I'm following you. I'm going to be watching everything. It's awesome. Uh, it sounds creepy. Weird. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's the new norm. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah but no, yeah. I, I really appreciate you being with us here today. Uh, great getting to meet you. And uh, I definitely want to come and check out your studio for sure. Yeah. Keep that going. You guys are um, so, making me want to uh, to step up my background, and uh, I feel like my background should be your background. You got the neon going there, so uh, I've got the, yeah, the Ukraine. I got the Ukraine colors going back here, trying to yeah. you know do my thing there. Usually, I have like a little party mode going, but things are a little bit more somber in the world right now. So, and I'd love it to see like your lenses and cameras, uh, both both of you having there for not listening. They've got great collections of classic cameras. What I'm guessing are more modern cameras than yours, Brian. I got a little bit of everything. I got uh, got my little 1928 Voigtlander up there. I've got my old, I like Nikon stuff. So something like this makes me happy. An old Nikon that's, film camera. That's a beauty. I don't like shooting film too often, to be honest. Uh, I like the esoteric value and the history of photography and what film offers. I'm just not, when I'm shooting a lot, I'm shooting usually pro wrestling or something like that. And I can't, I can't bring film cameras and come home with 1300 photos like that. So uh, <laughs> I might get some cool shots of the wrestlers in the backstage and doing stuff like that. But uh, my, my shooting these days, especially since COVID has really become more um, get in, get, get it done and leave. Right. So it's, it's been a lot less of the creative side. So I'm anxious to come across those times where I could play and do something. Maybe when I'm at the studio, I'll bring the Voigtlander uh, 120 camera and do some stuff with that. Who knows? could be fun. Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, John, where can uh, people follow you, find your um, uh, your classes, that kind of thing? You can follow me across the board. It's John Simo. That's S-I-M-O is the last name. And if you want to learn from me, I have my brand new educational platform. It's called Simo Students. I'm teaching everything I know 
on a weekly basis. It's a really great community. You get pretty much one-on-one -on -one direct access to my brain. And uh, it's been lovely to, to teach the things I know. I also have a free Discord community. We're about 3,000 members strong right now. And I'm constantly active on there, helping people upgrade their business, upgrade their skills, and just chat. It's been amazing to, to make friends uh, that I would have never met otherwise on this Discord. So would love to have you guys there. You can find all the links on my social media. You can find me at seamlessstudents.com. And I uh, hope to see you guys there. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, I just want to say to our listeners and viewers, if you like the show, um, just like the video, share it with other people. Um, follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and um, Spotify, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, have a great night, everybody. Bye. Thanks for watching, everyone. Take care. Ooh.